Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 223 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the former heavyweight world title challenger. It is, of course... Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. <laughs> I don't hey, know. that wasn't too bad, yeah, Joey. Uh, you might have a future in announcing too. All right, what's, what's up? I don't know if that but, was. Uh, uh, yeah, man. I don't know if that was some kind of terrible Michael Buffer or some kind of terrible Jimmy Lennon Jr. <laughs> I don't know. That was just terrible all round. But no, that was just that was just a vintage, great, good sounding voice right there. Joey Coastman. That's what we wanted to use. That we just use that one. All right, that's that's what we're gonna say. Forget the Michael Buffer and the Jimmy Lennon. We're gonna just go with you. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it will make the final cut, but it is what it is. Um, Eddie, once again, hey. thanks for uh, for joining me. You know, for being here when I as goes missing two weeks in a row now. Last week I was with you. This week we're over the phone again. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Well, it's, it sucks, man. Next time we can maybe we can do two weeks in a row where I'm there. Mm, who knows? Maybe, be nice. maybe next week I'll just uh, I'll fly back over. You know, you ready for me back that soon? Hey, <laughs> hey, that could that could be nice. <laughs> That'll work out for everybody. <laughs> but anyway, we've been without eyes now for two weeks. It is what it is. Uh, moving on to the review part of the show. Let's start here at the Winner Vegas Casino and Resort in Iowa, USA. This one was on on, on Showtime Friday the seventeenth. Which I think was the day, yeah, the day I flew back from the states. Obviously, the same, the mm. same day Muhammad Ali was born. Once upon a time, but this card over here mm. showed Johanna Gashev, a very good amateur. Obviously, a guy that had a very close fight actually with Michael Fox. Uh, Michael Fox, in my opinion, probably should have beaten him. But anyways, showed Johan Ergashev got the nod that night, and he got the he got the KO here, um, a first round KO actually. He's now eighteen and zero. The Uzbek fighter marches on. He was able to KO, like I say, in one round. Adrian Estrella, who now has a record of twenty nine and five, showed Johan Ergashev. Um, I think was actually originally supposed to box a week before this. He was supposed to take on. Um, Keith Hunter, the younger brother of Michael Hunter. We shall be speaking to Keith Hunter, I believe, later on in the show. Um, but yeah, that fight didn't end up happening. Moving out now to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, USA. Um, yeah, let's actually start with the undercard over here. Um, firstly, a very interesting one, actually. Jonathan Guzman. He is a guy that I think was fighting at... Um, I'm not sure if he's moved up in weight. He might still be at a super bantamweight. Anyway, he was a world champion. He was something like 21-0 with 21 KOs. He was a world champion. He went over to Japan and beat um, you know, this guy who I think may have been the champion. It may have been vacant. I can't remember. He went over to Japan. He pulled off you know, a brilliant win, another knockout win. And then the story was that he got paid in cash for some reason. And when he went to the airport, he got robbed 
in the airport for his money. Yeah. And um, after that, he was out the ring for near on two years. He just completely vanished off the face of the earth. And then he returned to the ring, and I think he got beat, and then and then he, he, he had another fight which went to the distance for the first time ever of, of all his wins. And he anyway, he, he signed with top rank now, I believe, and he was back um, on this card. It's good to see him back. Not quite sure, again, what, what's really happened after winning a world title, getting robbed, and then... Um, this this inactivity, so not quite sure what's going on, but anyway, good to see him back. But it wasn't easy, you know. He he was actually down himself in the second round against Rodolfo Hernandez Montoya, and then Hernandez was down in the third round, and that was where the KO came. So another knockout win there for Guzman. Now twenty four and one KO for him in round three. Like I say, against Rodolfo Montoya. Now thirty and ten with a draw. Also on this bill, Christopher Diaz moved to twenty five and two. A unanimous decision for him over eight rounds against Adilson Dos Santos now 19 and 8 Adilson Dos Santos the Brazilian fighter um, some hardcore boxing fans might remember his name I think he boxed I think he boxed Jamel Herring at one point, but he definitely boxed Kid Galahad um, from over here in the UK. Moving up the bill once again, Felix Verdejo picked up a win. Again, he's you know he's had some issues outside of the ring. I think he had a motorcycle crash at one point, which kept him out for a while, but he's back. He's now 26-1, and one, um, a points win for him over 10 rounds against Manuel Rojas, who's now 18-4. and four. But the main event for the WBC Continental America's light heavyweight title, won the WBO Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title. By the way, both belts were vacant at the uh, you know, at, at the start of the fight. Alida Alvarez picked up the belts and he picked up the KO. A seventh round KO against Michael Seals. Mm. Alvarez now 25-1. and one. Um, I didn't actually see this fight, to be honest. Eddie, I, um, I, I caught the knockout. You mm-hmm. told me it was a quite a brutal knockout. I did see the knockout, but just the fight yeah. itself, if you can give me um, you know your short review on on Saturday night or Friday night, whenever it was in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the fight itself, uh, you know, me watching it, and I remember I made this comment to you, and I'm looking at a lot of these guys and a lot of these younger fighters um, don't really understand how to judge distance as far as like where you should be in reference to your opponent when you throw certain shots, and it, you know it causes a lot of messy tie-ups and uh, you know a lot of those kind of things. Like I'm most most uneducated people, uneducated eyes watching a fight aren't going to really pick it up or really understand what I'm saying. But like I said, it just causes a lot of messy types. And even with an exciting kind of fight, you can kind of see it dull out a bit because of all the types and all of the, you know, the arms are everywhere and shots are thrown too far and bodies are bumping in an unnecessary fashion. It's just not really, it's not really the best way to see a fighter, especially two professionals at a high level like that. But eventually it's kind of settled down a little bit. And I think even toward the middle and toward the end, when the knockout came, it was still a little bit clunky at times. But um, you can see both guys getting close with big shots. And one thing I, I realized about Seals, he was taking way too many chances with some of the shots he was throwing. And he got buzzed, I think, once at the end of a round. I'm not sure if it was with a right hand or a hook. I can't remember, but it was one of those type of shots that – why were you there for it? You know what I mean? And and I, he was just a little bit, he said a little bit too much heart. Or too, you took a little bit too much, too many chances with big shots. And I think uh, once Alvarez realized it, and, you know, he was, and I don't know how much he really, really realized it, but, you know, besides the fact of him just, you know, leaning over, throwing that overhand right, catching him and, you know, knocking him out. Um, you know, I don't know how much that was planned because it didn't really, he didn't really do it 
that many times and you know before it so but um it was it was an interesting fight you know what i mean to be honest and the knockdown was obviously like right now that's the front runner for knockout of the year so you know it was uh it was pretty ugly as far as i caught him and he literally hit, hit his head on the bottom rope it was he was out cold well not cold but he was but he was pretty stiff when he got cracked so it was a good it was a good shot you know what i mean but the fight itself was a little like a little messy yeah i mean quite complimentary of yourself to call him young um Alida Alvarez almost <laughs> 36 and uh and um oh, well, damn. Michael I'm Sills is 37 I, <laughs> I should have known that he's the same age as uh, well I say young guys I'm not even just just referencing these guys I'm referencing so many different guys that I've seen recently I mean, not even just recently I you know maybe it's been well actually it has been more recent where I see them you know like I said like a lot of like a messy tie-ups like you you're you know being a professionalist you got to understand how to judge your distance a little better than that you know what I mean and fights I've had and things like that I mean it's just more professional you know what I mean I'm looking at situations and even some of the guys I fought you know you step on their feet it happens periodically but to for it to happen round after round you know what I mean combination or I mean punch after punch to be you know you don't you don't generally see things like that or you shouldn't see things like that where there's a lot of messiness in professional sports you know what I'm saying I mean it happens but not constantly you understand what I'm saying yeah for sure for sure, but yeah, very good knockout in the end. Um, moving out now to the Woodhouse Park Lifestyle Centre in Wivenshaw, Manchester, Lancashire. Um, one fight to mention over here, Dion Juma, now 13-0, and a defence there of his English cruiserweight title against Sam Hyde. Um, from what I'm told, it was a great fight. It wasn't televised, unfortunately, but everyone there said it was a brilliant fight and stuff like that. Sam Hyde, um, very unlucky, you know, very, very unlucky. Hasn't had the best 12 months or so, been very unlucky, but um, a good win there for Dion Juma, like I say, another name really for his resume, he needs to start pushing on again, another guy who um, has had, you know, quite a bit of inactivity outside of the ring for one reason or another, and the final bill to mention, this one took place at the Leacora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA, it was on, um, it was on Fox, but starting with the undercard, this one was for the interim WBA World Super Featherweight title. Chris Colbert, 13-0 now, 14-0. It was a unanimous decision win for him over 12 rounds against Jezreel Corrales, um, a guy who I said on last week's show was quite inactive, but actually I think since his, his, his most recent loss prior to this one, of course, um, I think he'd only perhaps boxed maybe one time or, or maybe two times, but you know, not, not topping bills or anything like that. He'd, he'd been fighting kind of lesser level guys so I hadn't really seen much or heard much about him um, of recent times but a good win there for Chris Colbert certainly one to watch in the future he picks up a minor piece of silverware there the interim WBA world super featherweight title Corrales was down in the 10th round but it ended up being a unanimous decision in favor there of Colbert so a good win for him and moving up to the main event, Julian J. Rock Williams, now 27-2 and with a draw. He was TKO'd in five rounds by the, well, the relatively unknown Jason Rosario, now 20-1 and with a draw. He's known as the Banana. He blames eating bananas for his... Um, for his punch power, it was of course for the WBA Super, the IBF and the IBO World Super Welterweight titles. Last week, Eddie, when we previewed the fight, I think it was, well, it definitely was me, I said, this is, you know, a an easy, an easy touch before we get mm -hmm. to see Williams and 
heard get it on in the rematch. You know, I said this is this mm-hmm. is pretty much an easy defence. No one's really interested. Um, how yeah. wrong was I? It wasn't easy at all. J Rock, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, gets knocked out in five rounds. A huge, huge shock. A big upset. And I already want to kind of throw it in there for one of the biggest upsets we're probably going to see in 2020, even though we're only a few weeks in. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's uh, uh, it was a big surprise, you know. Now, I mean, if you don't know the guys that are on his resume, you'll kind of just dismiss it. But the fighting spirit and who he is, you could just tell. You know what I mean when he was when he was in there, the shots he took, and he just was resilient. He just wanted to come, but he just wanted it so badly. And then the cut happened with J Rock, and it just was like he he was having a hard time seeing shots coming from that side. And then he his one of his his big defaults defensively, I think is really defending the right uppercut. I mean, we saw it with, with, um, with Charlo. And then now you're seeing it with this guy, you know, catching, catching him with those serious, those big right uppercuts, counter right uppercuts. And it's just, you know, sometimes obviously him, when he was lounging on the ropes, he was, he got caught with one when he was pretty hurt already, but it's just a shot. And I think it's maybe he's a little too heavy on his front foot sometimes, you know what I mean? Being a little too aggressive, you know, I mean, even in a situation where you where you somewhat should be in retreat, he's still doing with you know with that Philly heart. You know, what I mean, just fighting fighting through it, trying to trying to make something out of nothing, and that's what happens. You get caught, and, and that's what you know. And you hear him mentioning the rematch clause and hoping he can get another opportunity at it so he can get his belts back. But the way it played out is just uh, it just didn't look good for him. No, it certainly didn't. Um, the the rematch clause is an interesting factor. Um, he will certainly mm-hmm. have to go back to the drawing board as they say and certainly tighten up a few loose ends quite a few um yeah he just seemed to be totally outgunned really from the get-go the early cut really did seem to bother him um you know mm-hmm. i think there was a bit of pressure on his shoulders they mentioned that he hadn't boxed in philly for nine years so it was his homecoming mm-hmm. um but you know just hearing him speak in the build-up to the fight he said and i i quite liked what he'd said because i was I was, you know, I was worried that he might overlook this guy. People do that sometimes. But he mm-hmm. actually said, this guy is coming in here, you know, to, to cause an upset in my backyard, just like I did to Hurd. So, he, he, you know, his head mm-hmm. was in the right place, it would seem. But, yeah. Um, yeah, like I say, just a, a shocking upset. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, it was, it was. Because, you know, I, I like J-Rock. He's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um one thing that I I don't want to get too critical, but I said it to you already, Eddie. In the corner, um, you know, after I think it was the second round, J Rock had had quite a bad round. He went back to his corner, and um, you know, I think he was rocked in that round. He was cut in that round. And the one piece of advice that I heard his trainer say was, um, mm. you know, what did he say again? I think he said he said throw the right hand to the body. And that was it. There was nothing yeah. about. He didn't try to give him any kind of um, advice on, you know, how to get out the way. He was actually saying, "No, right. go to him, but hit him to the body." And I thought, "Ooh, right. you know, that that just well, didn't sit well with me." Well, I kind of, I see what I, I see in a sense where he was kind of put together. But my thing in a situation like that would be crowd him, walk him down a bit, because sometimes you know, once you're in the lion's mouth, you miss the teeth. You know what I mean? If you're kind of in punching range, just in punching range, which is his biggest issue, that's where all those big shots that he's throwing are are are, are happening. You're right in his right. You're right in his wheelhouse, right where he needs you to be, so he can throw those big shots. If you notice, he was always right within punching range, and that's a big issue. Like I said, not only that, he's heavy on that front foot too. 
in a, in, a, in a lot of in a lot of those exchanges. You understand what I'm saying? So if he gets inside, even if he's and he can still sit on the back foot, still kind of be away from you know away from danger with those uppercuts, but press. Do the same thing he did with her. Get in close. Make it a little ugly. You know what I mean? Push him a little bit. You know, the guy's strong and tough and everything. I've got punching power, but he needs space to punch. You know what I mean? Get Make, make it a little weird for him. Like, man, I really can't get some of the shots that I want to get off because they're, they're, he's throwing bigger, longer, wider shots. You know what I mean? If you notice, if he would have been inside a little closer, maybe he would have had a better shot and he would have been up with those short choppy combinations and he would have started to get, you know, get himself together. And, and, and you know, after the initial, you know, it was a tough period in there when he was taking some heavy shots and even though he was still, a, you know, still, uh, still coherent and he wasn't like hurt too bad. He, he could have started, you know, he could have, he could have kept it going, but he just stayed in punching range for, for the guy, Jason um, Rosario. And, and that's what happens. Yeah, and one interesting thing that Rosario said in the post-fight interview, um, obviously through a translator, he said that was the first time he'd really had a proper training camp, you know, which which makes you think, wow, you know, what's it what's yeah. it going to be like when he does have a full training camp once again, you know, and and, and goes into yeah. this rematch, obviously with that belief that he can he can beat J Rock. So very interesting mm-hmm. for the rematch. Um, yeah. One shot, I can't remember which shot it was, but J-Rock landed a shot. I, I really can't remember which right shot. Hand. It must have been Counter a right hand. hand. Okay, so a right, Counter hand. right hand. It was pretty much mm-hmm. it was pretty much his best punch of the fight. And it was a brilliant mm-hmm. shot. He landed it right on the button and Rosario didn't move anywhere. It was like a tickle. He just well, took it, you know? No, you know what? He he showed you know what happened? It hurt him. But it didn't hurt him to the point where his he determination, really Jeff. I've seen it. Yeah, he, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like he got caught. And it stopped him. Like if you see, like if you watch the replay, he kind of like turned weird a little bit. Not turned, but you know what I mean. His body had like a weird reaction to it, but he just kept coming forward. It was that's just determination. And and I'm I'm coming for this belt. It's going to me. I feel like I got everything I need. Every time I throw a punch, I feel it. I know he was. It was just his night. You know what I mean? You have those nights where you're just like, I'm walking through whatever he throws. And J-Rock, I felt, felt, I think, felt that. And it was just like, man, he was fighting an uphill battle was on ice skates that day. You know what I mean? It happens. Well, I will be going to the supermarket to grab a bunch of bananas because I tell you what, it looked good to me. <laughs> but anyway, that is it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former super featherweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. John O'Carroll. John O, welcome back on the show, my man. Thank you, uh, thank you for having me. I think you forgot the King Kong in there, but <laughs> <laughs> forgive me. So, John O, we last spoke back in back in November of, of 2018, actually. So it's been quite a while. I think it was just before the the Frenoir fight. Obviously, you know that win or that fight there catapulted you into the the Tevin Farmer fight for the world title. Um, I'm not sure if you look back on that fight with such fond memories but i've got to just say you boxed amazingly in my opinion that night jono you really did despite not getting the win just give us a word on that one before we move on yeah no problem um do you know what that night there was a lot of ups and downs in uh camp i had a little bit of an angle uh angle injury achilles was at me so um i didn't make weight very good because i wasn't able to jog i wasn't able to run and um yeah, I killed myself a little bit with the L uh, weight. I, I thought it was gonna just come in heavy and I was gonna blast them out. Um because because of the angle I just I cut the weight totally wrong. I was 
I just couldn't do it the way I normally would, you know. And um, I was even sparring not not great because I didn't want to keep risking the injury on the ankle. And don't get me wrong, I'm not giving any excuse. That's not one bit of excuse. It's just those things I wasn't happy with mentally going into that fight. Um, once I was in the fight, I was in the fight. You know what I mean? Like my arm could be falling off and like bleeding, pull it off my shoulder and just bang him with it. Like if it doesn't bother me. Nothing bothers me when I'm in the fight. But leading up to the fight, a lot of things was bothering me. And I remember getting on the scales that morning and thinking, I remember getting out of the hot bath, sorry, just to try and make the weight. And uh, sweating, and I was so like drained. I remember saying to the missus, I was like, if I'm not on this weight now, I'm not making weight. Like I'm not getting back in that bath. Like I'm in bits. And she, I was actually lying on the floor, and she was she was drying me. Like that's how bad, and I, I felt exhausted. And uh, anyway, went down, made the weight just about and I was like over the moon I was like right fuel up we're going to take this fella out I genuinely thought I'm going to blast this fella out because that camp I actually because I wasn't doing a lot of the running I was doing a lot of strength work um, so I was feeling really strong in sparring I was banging a lot um, so I was thinking he's there for the taking you know and I've watched that fight back about five or six times because it annoyed me that they gave me a draw and I'm not saying that about match or anything but I I think they gave a draw so then I could fight Tevin and then he could fight him next, to be honest. But I watched that fight back a good few times. And there's rounds there that I clearly won. And I at least, in my opinion, won seven or eight of them rounds. Like, in my eyes, it's seven or, or eight or nine. But if you want to be, like, generous, I'd say seven or eight. You know what I mean? So, I don't know if, why the reason was that I drew that fight, but... Uh, in my eyes, I still won that fight, regardless what the outcome was. It was annoying that I got given a draw. The fact that I got a draw, I hate a draw. Give me a loss, I'll take a loss. But don't give me a draw, because we're not evenly matched. You know what I mean? A draw is so frustrating for a fighter. And like I say, though, I mean, that, that, that got you the shot at Tevin. And, you know, again, like, you, you did something in that fight where I, f- I felt like you shocked quite a few people because Tevin is a sensational fighter, very, very hard to hit. And we've never really seen anyone put the pressure on him like you did. You pushed him back and, um, you know, you just had tons and tons of success. And, you know, going into the later rounds, I think on my card, if I remember correctly, I had it pretty much you know all square you were you were boxing fantastically um but you know yeah. there was a bit of needle before that fight since then you know after the fight you've become pretty good friends it just it just goes to show once again boxing really is the best sport in the world for me Jono. <laughs> for sure yeah 100% I agree listen I think the friend wall fight gave me um a bit more hunger because I got the draw it was like right we're going to war now I'm making sure I'm not cutting any corners this time my ankle sore, I'm running on it. If Like, I just literally, I didn't cut any corners then. And I always look at every single thing happens for a reason, you know. Um, and it just made me a better fighter, I think. It made me more grounded. It made me work harder for the Tevin Farmer fight. And even over the Christmas period and stuff, I, I continued training. I didn't slack. Um, I was in fantastic shape for the Farmer fight. And uh, it was just... It just gave me a little kick in the ass, that draw did. And then I knew the game plan. I knew what I had to do in the Tevin Farmer fight. And my game plan was perfect. It was just the only thing we got to cut in the second round. Um, we rushed the pace just a little bit. So from the rounds one and two went perfectly, exactly the way I wanted it to go. Now I wanted to continue doing exactly what I was doing. But because we got the cut, um, 
we kind of came forward and rushed it a little bit. We we said we have to win these rounds in case it gets uh, stopped on the court because the court was very deep. And I, I switched up the game plan. I went at him. And it was the worst thing to do because you don't come at a, a counterpuncher, you know, because obviously he counterpunch you and he lands his shots. And then I just thrown so many shots trying to win those rounds that I just kind of, I set the pace then really early. And once I set the pace, then I couldn't re- reverse it. I was thinking, if I reverse it and try to settle back down like the fourth round or two, he's going to think I'm getting tired. And I never get tired in a fight. So I was thinking, I'm not looking or showing him weakness, you know? So I didn't just take the foot off the pedal. I just kept it down and we just went to war, you know what I mean? It was a great fight. It was a very entertaining fight. My stock risen loads after that fight. And... Uh, like, I tried to tour highest punches in, in title history at that weight division. So that's, like, I tried, like, 1,250 punches or 1,200 and something punches in that fight, which is, is crazy, you know what I mean? That's Manny Pacquiao was at that weight. So that means I tried more punches than Manny Pacquiao did, you know what I mean, in his title fight. So, yeah, it was crazy. But what an experience and what um, it was enjoyable, you know? And after you have a war like that with somebody, the only thing that's left is respect from both men, you know? So... That's when uh, that's when we shook hands and he brought me for that Philly cheesesteak the next day. And from there on out, I had nothing but respect for the man and I wish him all the very best in his future, in his career. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, weren't you back out there in the States recently helping him prepare for his upcoming fight? Or Yeah, so I literally flew into Manchester today to do this press conference. I was in Philadelphia yesterday. I haven't even slept. Oh, man. But uh, I literally, I was over there the day after Christmas, I jumped on a flight the like Christmas night, basically. Four o'clock in the morning, I went straight over to Philadelphia to help him out. As long as I could spend Christmas Day with my family, I was happy. Um, but I've been over there ever since. So uh, I've sacrificed a lot to, to help him out and prepare him for this fight with Jojo Diaz um, on the zone on the 30th of January. So um, it was amazing, but it was a great experience. Not just the fight, but them being in this camp. It was amazing. Even we sat there and watched actually myself and his self uh, the fight, and it was amazing. It was like some blading Rocky and Apollo Creed shit. You know what I mean? We were sitting there. and He was like, "You, you got too greedy there. You should just land that shot and kept going." And like there was certain things that he told me that I that I learned a lot from. You know what I mean? Not just in the ring, but outside the ring. Um, it was a real pleasure being there. I gained so much experience. And I want to get your get your opinion on that fight. By the way, it's a big fight. It's, it's finally uh, you know a fight that Tevin's been involved in from a United States kind of uh, standpoint, where you know there's a lot of interest because they all know who who Joseph Diaz is. How do you see the fight playing out? It's a good fight. Yeah, it's a very good fight. You know, um, to be honest, I set the blueprint there for Jojo Diaz. He's a southpaw. Obviously, I tagged Tevin more times than anyone else has tagged him in fights. I have set the blueprint out to beat him. But Tevin is, is really in shape this time, you know. I'm no sparring partner for anybody. Me or Toka Khan were both top-quality fighters, and we made sure we worked him hard, you know. He's he's definitely prepared. He sparred 14 rounds only there like two weeks ago, um, seven with myself and seven with Toka Khan. So to be able to do that um, is impressive in my eyes, you know. So I just hope, hope he makes his weight well and he does everything correct and, do you know what? Jojo Diaz is a very strong fighter, um, and he's an Olympian. He's a very he's a very skilled opponent too. 
Um, I think if Tevin boxes to his game plan, Tevin wins. Um, but I think if he fights with Jojo too much, then Jojo could possibly hurt him. I, got, I never sparred Jojo Diaz, but um, our other sparring partner, Toka Khan, he sparred him before and he said he can pop. He said he can bang. So um, it's all it's all got to do with Tevin's head moving and setting the pace and, and fighting his own fight, you know. But I, I do think Tevin wins the fight. But it's definitely not going to be an easy fight, for sure. It's going to be a tough fight. Yeah, absolutely. And jo- if Jojo hurts him, that, you know, it's it's boxing at the end of the day. You know, so you never know. It's a coin toss, really, but I'm going to edge slightly with Tevin. Yeah, for sure. And, of course, your next fight's been announced. It will be against Scott Quigg. It takes place March the 7th in his backyard of Manchester. Um, what do you know slash think about Scott Quigg as a fighter, John? Um, well, he's a former world champion, you know, so you don't get there for, for no reason, you know. Um, he's a very tough opponent. He comes forward all night long. He's strong. He's tough. He can bang. He's he's uh, experienced. You can't overlook experience, you know. So um, it's going to be a very interesting fight. It's going to be a good fight. I'm really, really looking forward to it. He's, uh, he's in his backyard as well. But I'm, I'm when me and Tevin Farmer was over there sparring, so it's nip and tuck every single round. Like, I believe I am world... Like, I, I sh- should be probably a world champion. And my level, I will be a world champion, you know? Um, I'm going to be a world champion 100% in the future. So, this fight, I'm looking at putting on a performance of my career. And putting on the best performance possible. And, I'm, like like I was saying, I was sparring heaven last, last week. And I was doing seven rounds. And I've still seven weeks to bloody go for this fight. You know what I mean? So I'll go straight back to Spain. I'll be sparring eight rounds this week, probably 10, 12 next week or something. So I'm going to be flying in this fight. And I'm looking to put on, make a statement. That's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to make a statement against Scott Quigg in his backyard. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a hostile crowd because Scott has a massive following here in Manchester. But I have people from Manchester texting me saying, I only live down the road from him. But I'll be there supporting you, mate. We got your back and all. It's it's crazy the support I have over here in Manchester. And I really feel blessed and uh, privileged to fight here once again. I fought on shows here before when Scott fought uh, Kiko Martinez. And I remember looking around thinking, I can't wait till this is me. And now here we are, three years later, topping the bill. So it's my time to shine. And you mentioned there he's got the come-forward style. You've also got a come-forward style. I honestly can't see anything but a real fan-friendly encounter here. I feel like this is uh, this has really got war written all over it. It's certainly, in my opinion, going to steal the show. I just can't see, Jono, how it can be anything but a real exciting fight you know sometimes you you get you know you, we see these matchups all the time between knockout eyes and stuff like that and we say yeah that's not going to go to distance and sometimes we're right sometimes we're wrong but in this one i can't see anything but a brilliant fight yeah it's going to be a very fantastic fight for sure but uh i think i have the hand speed he's coming up to my weight division i think i'll have the strength on him in there um i've got a footwork mate this fight will be whatever i want this fight to be I'm going to set the pace in this fight. If we want to go toe-to-toe with him and go for a war, I'm big enough to, to physically bigger man. I'll push him back and I'll go to war with him if I want. If I want to outbox him, I will. I see this fight going whatever way I want it to go. And 
it's going to be an amazing night for me. Trust me, believe that, mate. And you tweeted saying that you're, you know, you you're going to smash his head in. You can't wait to do that. He then replied saying you won't smash anything in because you're feather fisted. I've never actually seen <clears throat> Scott Quigg trash talk over Twitter before. <laughs> I don't know if that's actually yeah, no. controlling his account there, but um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's about time. It's about time he bit like because I was I was half thinking for a while. I was like he's not even going to show up. The fight was supposed to be in Saudi Arabia, and he pulled out with an old injury. He was saying, and we were meant to get doctor reports. We never got doctor reports, and then I was half thinking, was he ready? Did he just feel like he needed more time? And now here we are, topping the bill. So I'm actually happier it end up turning out like this. But at the same time, I just hope the man shows up because, mate, I want world titles, and he's my way through to get a world title. He's the only man stopping me, and I'm gonna destroy Scott Craig. Mark my words. Don't think for one minute that Scott Quigg is going to be able to haunt me and do me in, mate. I'm going to smash his head in. And he, he can say what he wants with feather-fisted or whatever he was saying. It's going to be whatever fight I, I choose to fight. Trust me. And what is your prediction, John, if you have one for March 7th? Do you know what? Scott Quigg is a very tough, tough opponent. True. And I'm, I'm, I'm not known to knock people out. So we can only see it going the distance. But if if it if it gets stopped in any sort of way, it'll be him going down with a body shot, because he's an old man. I'm gonna hurt him. I'm gonna hurt him to the head, and I'm gonna hurt him to the body. He's gonna get smashed up. Mark my words. Every single thing that I say that I'm gonna do on a fight, I always do. You know, I very rarely say I'm gonna stop this fellow. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that. But Scott Craig is gonna get hurt at least once or twice in this fight, and he can say what he wants about feather fisted. Anyone who's ever been in with me knows I can bang. Anyone that can, anyone that can fight can bang with 8-ounce gloves. You know, 8-ounce is not very much. So you're going to feel them no matter what. But if you look at my resume, from prize fighter on, like, that prize fighter was like my fourth or fifth fight. I was in with Big and Gary Buckland, Stephen Foster, like, known opponents, you know. I didn't go that easy route and get a lot of journeyman and to get a lot of stoppages on my career. It just, it didn't work out like that. I, I got brought in as a journeyman, to be losing most of these fights. Um, I just kept winning. I just kept winning. You know, I wasn't knocking them out because they were all tough season professionals. But uh, just because I haven't got a lot of knockouts on my record, I don't think for one minute I can, that I'm, I'm punching light. And the fact that he says that gives me even more confidence that I'm like, <laughs> I hope he thinks that. Because if he thinks that, he's going to be in for a shock. And the last thing you want to be uh, the last thing you want on fight night is to be shocked, you know. I'm going to be covering all routes. I'm going to be preparing for Scott Quigg in his prime when he was a world champion. That's what I'm preparing for. I'm not preparing for Scott Quigg, the old man, because I'm, I'm looking to put on an amazing performance. And I just think he's been in one or two more wars than we have, you know. I think his, uh, I don't know, I don't know if his heart is still in the game, to be honest. I absolutely cannot wait for the fight. But just finally, Jono, if you've got any closing words for our listeners before we let you go, obviously it'll be the last time we speak to you before the fight. So, uh, yeah, if you've got any closing words, take it away. I'd like to just say thank you for everyone for supporting me. Like, I've had massive support over here with the English crowd. It's it's actually been a bit, like, overwhelming. I'm, I'm shocked as well, the fact that I have just as much English, if not more English people text me, um... Like congratulate me for the fight it's going to be an amazing fight I'm going to be there so much support here from England it's actually shocking you know so I just want to thank every single fan that's going to show up um, whether you're my fan or his fan it doesn't matter it's going to be an amazing night um, and if you're not following me on Twitter 
right, on Instagram, get on that stuff, Channel King Kong Carol. Um, thank you for having me, my man. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you giving me a bit of time, John. It has been fantastic catching up once again. Uh, best of luck for March 7th, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after the fight. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Only a couple things to mention. Firstly, starting with this one here, um, the undefeated Dan Aziz will be fighting Andre Sterling. That one to take place um, on March 20th. It's going to be for the English light heavyweight title. It's going to be part of that golden contract bill at your call. Um, that would be a real good fight. Like I say, Sterling, you know, his, his, his loss to, to Craig Richards was was a fantastic fight, actually, from last year. Um, you know, he didn't win the fight, but he showed tremendous heart. He's got a tough chin and the rest of it. And, um, yeah, very, very exciting fight, that one. Aziz in a real test there. Hasn't really had the tests I'd have liked to see him in, but this one will be a great fight. Um, also, we should mention that Anthony Sims Jr., the American, will be will be taking on Roma Alexis Angulo. Uh, that one's for the WBO Latino Super Middleweight title. That one takes place on Thursday, January 30th um, in Miami. That one, of course, the Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz undercard. So... A title fight there for Anthony Sims Jr., a guy that's loved over here in in Britain. Um, And also the final piece of news to mention, James Tennyson has signed with Matchroom. That's an interesting one because James Tennyson obviously... um, you know, the, the the notable kind of performances or fights that he's had in recent times. He boxed Martin J. Ward and he absolutely destroyed him. He knocked him out. And then, of course, he got the shot at Tevin Farmer, but then he got stopped by Tevin Farmer, which wasn't really a good look. Mm. But, um, yeah, James Tennyson, I think he's coming off a good win. I think he knocked out... I think it was Atif Shafiq, but he, you know he knocked him out, and now he's been signed by Eddie Hearn. So there's some big fights for him. He's big for the weight, and he can certainly punch. But that's it for the news. Moving over now to the preview part. This one takes place later today at the Hangar in Costa Mesa, California, USA. Um, one fight to mention: Jason Quigley, 17 and one, friend of the show. He's in a 10 rounder against Oscar Cortez. Um, Oscar Cortez, not quite sure who that is actually, I'm not quite sure, not not too familiar with that name, but, um, you know, Quigley obviously lost that fight to um, to Turiano Tur- Johnson, he's he's had the one get-back fight, and this is his second one, so a 10-rounder there, all the best to Jason Quigley, not quite sure who he's training with at the minute. Moving over now to a fight that's happening tomorrow night at the Civic Center in Texas, USA, um, interesting this one, it's, this is a guy that I've, I've wanted to be pushed on, really, because I like the record, I like the stats. Um, Junlong Zhang is the guy's name. 18 and 0, 18 KO wins. A Chinese Southpaw heavyweight. Eight rounds of boxing mm. here. No opponent just yet for him, but he's looking to, of course, extend that that unbeaten run and that knockout run. I'd like to see him in there with somebody. The other top heavyweights, really, he's been a little bit inactive. I think he's getting up there in age as well. I confuse him with another Chinese heavyweight called Zilil Zhang. I think they're both southpaws. They're both, <laughs> they're both like um, undefeated, and every fight they've been in, they've won by knockout. They could actually be the same. No, they're not the same person, but yeah, I confuse them all the time. <laughs> um, moving out now to Germany at the Work Your Champ Arena. Never heard of that one. That one's in Hamburg. 
Um, just to mention over here, very, very good prospect coming through Abbas Barral. Um, I think he, I'm not sure if he medaled um, in, in, in the Olympics. I think he went to the Olympics, so very good amateur. 8-0 as a professional. He's in a 10-rounder against Abraham Juarez, who's 16-4. Moving out now, though, to the convention center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, USA. Friend of the show, former world champion, Caleb Truax, 30-4 with two draws. He's in a 10-rounder against David Basajamivui. I think it's said, definitely not said like mm. that, but um, a real mouth. <laughs> 16 and 4 with a draw. 10 rounds of boxing there. And the final card, this one is the main card of the weekend. It's going to be shown on Showtime. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Box Nation have picked it up as well. So that'd be, that'd be cool. Um, Lorenzo Simpson, very good prospect on the undercard, 6-0. He's in a six-rounder against Antonio Hernandez, who's 2-10 and with a draw. Lorenzo Simpson, obviously, you know, still still easing into the pro the pro game. Um, it's going to be an easy touch for him looking at the looking at the records on paper. But yeah, Lorenzo Simpson, I've said it time and time again, definitely one to watch for the future. Jarrett Hurd is back on this card, which is weird because he's boxing here just um, just seven days after J Rock. So not quite sure why they didn't just fight each other. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that J Rock wishes that they did now. But Jarrett Hurd, twenty three and one, he's in a ten rounder against Francisco Santana who is 25 and 7 with a draw that's over 10 rounds there Stephen Fulton 17 and 0 takes on Arnold Kagai 16 and 0 with a draw that one's for the IBO World Super Bantamweight title over 12 rounds and the main event Danny Garcia Philadelphia's very own 35 and 2 he's in a 12 rounder against Ivan Redcatch 23 and 4 with a draw um Eddie, I've not been Danny Garcia's biggest fan, and I say that because, you know, he gets called a cherry picker and stuff like that, and I'm not going to say he's a cherry picker, I always thought he was a good fighter, but fights like this, he has had quite a few of these kind of fights, he's he's taken on here another guy who really shouldn't be able to, you know, to, to win more than two rounds against him, for me this is another Another easy touch. I, I don't really want to call him a cherry picker, but I'm not quite sure what to call him. It's another easy, easy touch, really, for Danny Garcia. We're expecting here. Yeah, you know, I, these type situations. I mean, I understand what they're doing. You know, because he's had a couple rough, you know, a couple rough losses. You know, with with uh, the two guys that he lost to, obviously, um, and it's and it, and it kind of sucks for him a little bit to come from his it's not like he's falling from grace like he's not still one of the elites in the division but he's definitely looked at now and if i'm i'll you know correct me if i'm wrong is one of the weaker of the championship level guys you understand what i'm saying and what i think they're trying to do and what this situation is supposed to be is you know a confidence booster you know what i mean to get him back on track keep you know get him a few wins to get him get him in um you know in in in, the, in good spirits going into these bigger fights that they're going to start to try to go for because i mean obviously at this point in his career now he's starting to try to you know get his legacy you know to be more of a to to move toward you know, like you think of the Hall of Fame, you think of things like that as you go on in your career, especially if you've been a champion, you've, 
you've knocked out some guys or beat some guys who were Hall of Famers, you kind of start thinking of those types of things. And you start thinking about what you could put down and, and what your legacy will be when you're when you're gone from the game. So, you know, right now I'm looking at his situation is like get confidence boosters, get a couple of wins, you know, inflate his record, inflate his ego a bit. And then once he gets back in there and gets, you know, gets really, really fo- focused and, and ready to go at that, uh, that next, that next, honestly, that next part of his career, the, maybe the fourth quarter, or let's say the, they say the end of the third quarter of his career and uh, finish strong. You know what I mean? I think that's really what this is all about. Not necessarily just cherry picking guys, just so he can get, you know, inflate his record. I think it's just more for confidence and and to be prepared once he gets in there with somebody that's really truly elite. Yeah, and the reason why I'm quite a detractor of Danny Garcia's career is because, you know, back in 2011, because we forget, he's been a pro a long, long time. He turned pro in 2007. and I, Yeah, I'm saying that, 2007. Wow. It's crazy to think he's been a pro 13 yeah. years. But, you know, back in 2011, when you look at the run he had, he boxed the likes of Nate Campbell straight after him, Kendall Holt straight after him, Eric Morales, Mm -hmm. even though, of course, he was up there in age. Mm -hmm. Then he boxed Amir Khan, then the rematch with Morales, then Zab Judah, then Matisse. That's an incredible run right there. But then it just seemed to go downhill from about 2014. He boxed Mauricio Herrera. That was a fight many felt he, he was lucky to get the nod. Then he boxed Rod Salka. I know that people like to jump on that one and say Rod Salka's terrible. He's, of, of course, course, not as bad as what people make him out to be. But still, you know, that was a drop down in yeah. level. Then he boxed Lamont Peterson, a fight where, again, a lot of mm. people thought he might have lost that one. And then, you know, since then mm. he had Paulie Malinagi, you know, an aging Paulie. He had um, Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Then Sammy Vargas. Mm. Then he had the Furman fight, which he lost. Then he boxed an old, an old Brandon Rios, and um, and then of course Sean Porter. And then after that, mm. Adrian Granados. Um, you know uh, that was a fight for me. I just wasn't interested in. And now Ivan Redcatch. Mm. I mean. I look down his resume. I mean, yeah, I know why he's got the fight. He's got the fight because he's coming off an, an an incredible win, actually, in his last fight. He, he was able to KO in six rounds Devon Alexander. I actually forgot that had happened. Wow. Yeah, he KO'd Devon. I didn't even... Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Devon was down... That is a big win. Devon was down three times in the sixth round. That's never really happened, but... um. No. He was the only man to have stopped Devin Alexander, but I don't know what that is. You know, Devin Alexander is, is kind of hit and miss with him at this stage of his career. But Ivan Redcatch, yeah. you know, not based off that, but looking at what he's done, you know, in, in previous years, he's lost every big fight. You know, Tevin Farmer, you know, Argenis Mendez, yeah. John Molina Jr., Dijan Zlatikanin. I suppose he's not as bad as I'm making him out to be, but he's just not on Danny Garcia's level for me. So, not overly yeah. excited yeah. once again. It's another, as you say, confidence booster at best. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's like I said, you need these, but if it gets to be a little too many, people are not going to like it. But the fact is, you know, he's coming off of, well, when was that fight he had with uh, Sean Porter? That was the last fight. I think he's, fight no, he's had one win. No, he fought Adrian Granados. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Granados. So I mean, yeah. In this, you know, after the the the, the Sean Porter fight, then having Granados, and then this this one, it's another confidence booster. But it's the calm before the storm. I think he's gonna be a, you know, he's gonna probably go hard at something something big in the next fight. You know, I'm pretty sure 
you don't want to just keep having these kind of things. I mean, don't actually, get me wrong; it's nice, let me just, you know, for him. Let me just, no, actually, I, I'm going to actually take back a little bit of what I've said because I've I've forgotten. Remember, he was supposed to fight Errol Spence, but of course, Errol Spence had the crash, and that's oh, yeah, why yeah. this fight's happening. That's why. So I forgive him a right, tiny that bit. Is right, I okay. forgive him a tiny bit. It's not his fault that <laughs> you got to give him a little something for that because he's going to fight Errol Spence. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty that's a huge fight too. But the good thing is that fight will eventually be put together. I'm thinking, I'm hoping it's, you know, Earl's everything's good with Earl and he gets back and, you know, keeps his winning way he's going. But, um, and like I said, this is, a, well, this is a good situation for Danny, obviously to take this kind of a fight, get paid nicely, you know what I mean? And hopefully get the win. I mean, like we just saw with, uh, with banana, you know what I mean? These dudes, you might think they're just stepping in there just to step in there and they, Turn he's the whole just, thing upside down. Just, it can happen like that. He's not just banana. He's zebanana. banana. He's not. You can't just call him banana. That's disrespectful. He's he's yeah, the banana. He's the yeah, best he's, banana he's ever. Even. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He proved it that night. But but in but in reality, though, I mean, you know, these guys they come in to fight. Man, every look if you get an opportunity like that as somebody with the kind of resume Danny Garcia has, and you're coming out of nowhere. You're like, man, I want to turn this whole thing upside down so I can get. Then you can all of a sudden, now you're the guy. Now you're one of the names, and you, you know, you look at these names. I remember looking, looking at these names and on box rec, and I even on the wall at my house, I had to print out of all the champions and and the rankings, and then I was rated number fifteen in the IBF at one point. I'm like, then when I first got in, I was like, oh man, that that just looks so good up there, you know, next to those those great fighters or those other good fighters, and I'm like, man. You know, it's just nice to be able to do And then now you're one of the names. Now you're one of the guys. It's a hell of a thing to be able to do that. So, and to come out of nowhere as well, you know what I mean? So, I'm, you know, when, when these guys get these opportunities, man, watch out. Something something crazy can happen. Yeah, I suppose they do treat it like it's their world title fight. You're right. You're right in that respect. Yeah, um, yeah hopefully yeah. it's not as bad as, as, as how I'm saying it will be. But, um, you know, the undercard... Yeah. The undercard, I'm not quite sure how much of it they're going to show over here, but the undercard's decent. It's going to be good to see Jarrett Herb back. It's going to be good if they show Lorenzo mm-hmm. Simpson on the UK telecast, but I doubt they will, but he's quite far down the bill. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that is it, though, for the preview part of the show. Of course, Eddie, it's now time to say goodbye to you. Thank you so much once again for helping out. Two weeks in a row now. Not quite sure it will be free because uh, I'm taking up so much of your time. I'm going to have to start paying you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to have to do that because I might be a little bit too expensive. No, 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 no. You know, you know, you know, it ain't like that. You know how? You know, I never priced myself out of a good situation. So don't worry. It might, it might even just be the best price you've ever take you ever heard in your life. You never know. <laughs> I'll pay you in vegan food. Don't worry about that. But there, oh, I'll take that. Never mind. You know what? You got me for every week then. If you got some vegan food for me, send it on over. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Like I say, thank you so much, Eddie, for taking part in this week's show. Just before we wrap up part two, the final thing to do is to welcome, of course, our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated top super lightweight contender ranked number 13 in the world with a WBA. He is, of course, Mr. Keith Hunter. Keith, welcome back on the show, my man. Appreciate you. Thank you. Um, Very nice to be here. How's it going? Always great when I'm speaking to you, Keith. So we last spoke back in uh, the later part of November. It was just after your 
well, your fight actually for January 10th had been announced. Obviously, that fight didn't end up happening. You were out with a bit of an injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how's that? How's that situation now, Keith? Correct. Um, man, I, I recovered. My right hand was pretty um, banged up a little bit off my Cameron fight. Um, I had a hairline fracture. So uh, my hand's pretty good, you know. Those are the the most essential tools that you have. And, um, you know, for a young fighter's career, it doesn't, if you t- skip out on a fight, you know, um, don't let that be, you know, um, a roadblock, you know, just stay focused and pretty much that's where I'm at now. For sure. And we also haven't spoken since, um, since obviously before your brother Michael Box, Alexander Povetkin in Saudi Arabia. It ended in a draw. We were all very upset with the judges' scorecards on the night. What did you make, though, of your brother's performance on the night? A very, a very good effort. Um, he came out with a lot of steam that night. You know, he told me um, he was trying to get him out of there, you know, early on and, and really not have to go the distance. So, um, you know, he's more of a elusive fighter. He's more uses angles. But when he came out there this time, I know he was in hunter mode. You know, he, he wasn't playing with them. He wasn't really utilizing angles. And I think he did exceptionally well. I think he did enough to pull it off. Like you said, he was really upset with the judges. But, hey, you know, uh, it was an international bout. We Everybody went over there, and um, it was a draw. Um it's okay because people seen, you know, the, the the true heart of my brother and he still prevailed in some way, just not on record, you know, but he still tr- prevailed in the, in the fans' hearts. So it was amazing to me. I'm proud of him. Yeah, for sure. I think the real boxing fans know what, what the, uh, the result really should have been. What do you want to see your brother do next? This is my last question on Michael. Who, who would you okay. like to see him fight next, Keith? Um, really honestly, I would like him to fight Tyson Fury because they, they, um, he's already pretty much, um, got the better of him in amateurs, you know, and, uh, I forget it was a, a, a national belt. They fought and Michael, um, I never seen it, but my brother doesn't lie to me. He tells me how he pretty much really gave it to Tyson Fury. He almost beat him to a poke and stopped him. Um, he won in the amateurs. Michael, my brother, won against Tyson Fury. So he's really won. And then um, Anthony Joshua, you know, because, again, Anthony Joshua, he lost to Ruiz, even though um, Ruiz, he got the Ruiz um, lost back. But my brother beat Ruiz, you know, pretty well. It was like 21 to 1. And um, I just see so many holes in, in, in Anthony Joshua now. I think my brother's styles is so compatible for him. I want to see, you know, Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua. He has a lot of too, you know, but he's so awkward. I, I you know, I don't, I don't want my brother looking, you know, um, it, it's hard to look clean and, and with a good, uh, awkward guy. Yeah, I think Michael's style causes pretty much everyone in the heavyweight division problems. I hope we get to see all these thrilling fights. But your your mm-hmm. next fight has now been announced. It's another Mayweather Promotions fighter being thrown <laughs> your way. Um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. you're, you're 2-0 against Mayweather fighters right now. Um, you'll be boxing yes. Malik Hawkins on February 28th mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. What do you know about your opponent here, Keith? Correct. I don't really have too many experiences um, personally with them. I really don't have no experiences personally with them um, in or outside the ring. 
So um, all my information is based off of, you know, what people tell me and what I see. And with that being said, you know, um, based off of what I see, um, him fighting, you know, um, he can fight very tall. We're both six-footers, you know. It's, it's, it's not really common to see a, 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 a six-foot-140 person. So he's, he's right there. So we're both six-footers. And his last fight, you know, he, I got to see a glimpse of him fighting another six-footer, and that was Darwin Price. And Darwin Price did really well before he his leg gave out on him. I think if his leg didn't get out give out on him that night, um, Malik would have had a loss. He would have lost that first time. So I see Malik fighting really well as a tall man on the inside, but I see he has problems a little bit with his feet and his jab. So if a if a traditional you know Tommy Hearns or a traditional good tall man keeps the jab on him and, and stays on his pivot and uses his feet, you know, I think that that that's his that, that that's his biggest flaw. Yeah, you mentioned there obviously, you know, you're a big guy for one forty, he's a big guy. Is that a good or a bad thing from your point of view? Because I'm guessing in most of your fights you're the one punching down consistently, constantly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally um, I, I actually prefer boxing taller, longer guys than the small ones. You know, the small ones are a little more challenging for me. The tall guys, um, again, there's very few, unless you're really uh, a student of the art, you know, um, there's very few tall guys who, who, who are using, um, you know, the length um, smartly. And, and I don't think Malik Hawkins is using that. He has very good pedigree and a lot of experience. And they brought him along well, but somebody has not taught him how to really use his, utilize his jab up and down, faint, speed, and power. You know, he's walking in, you know, sometimes he'll use his jab when he can, but he, he's walking in really just trying to pressure you. You know, the Baltimore fighters, they're very tough. I have a lot of Baltimore friends, but he's from Baltimore, and they, they fight with a lot of heart and, and steam and tenacity. You know, I don't think he, he has the boxing IQ. And that's my biggest at, attribute. I like to move. You know, my father was a mover. You know, um, I, I try to keep that component, you know, with us. And I, I, I move and I've never been hurt. So I, I have a little bit of both. You know, I can I can box and I can sit down as well. So I'm I'm very confident with this one. And what is your ideal but realistic plan for 2020, Keith? Obviously, you plan to wing your fight next yeah. month. I don't really want you to look too far ahead mm-hmm. of that. But what you know, what are you yeah. looking at now? Because you're a guy that you know the way you've you've kind of moved up until this point. It's been very, very exciting. Actually, it's not really the traditional way. Uh, kind you. of just you know, you've, you've, you're really happy to box anyone anywhere. And, um, you know, you're not afraid mm-hmm. of, of taking these challenges on. And, and we can see that again in this fight here. Mm-hmm. Correct. Thank you. Um, my, my, my future goals for 2020 vision, um, realistically, um, the end of 2019, you know, the January 10th fight that you just, you know, recently spoke about, um, that fight right there was supposed to give me um, a mandatory title shot, a shot at the title after that one. So I, I, I chose to not 
take that um, at the end of 2020, you know, for for actually a, a, a better future, you know, business-wise as well. And since uh, coming into 2020, ending 2012 with the title shot, coming into 2020, realistically, um, I'm only about three fights away from, from, from really grabbing that 140 title. And, um, you know, I, I don't only want a title at 140. I'm going to move up because I started at 47. So I'm going to quickly grab a title and, and see who, who wants to dispute that. And hopefully I can, I can, you know, be the man at that and really move up to 147 all within 20, 2020. You know, I, I want to try to get that done. You know, not only unify or dispute 140 and let them know I'm that man right there, but then, you know, almost be at the tail end of, of, of everything I, I have to give at 140 by 2020, the end of it, at least, hopefully. <laughs> See, it is exciting times in the 140 division, and I say that because, obviously, you know, the the best are fighting the best right now. You know, we got to see pro Grand Taylor. Taylor, Taylor picked up pro Gray's belt. And um, mm-hmm. now Taylor's signed with top rank. He's already straight away talking about fighting the winner of Ramirez Postal. So um, I think if Taylor were to fight, you know, the winner of that fight, and then you know he'd, he'd be undisputed. I don't see him hanging around. I think he would move straight up to one four seven. Why hang around? So I can see a lot of opportunities right. actually opening up for for all the guys ranked in all the organizer. You know, at the top of all these organizations. So it's an exciting time to be a one forty fighter, and it. It'll be even more exciting probably in about six months' time. Um, right right on the mm-hmm. kind of time that you'll be you'll be ready, you know, at the very top. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm sure you will have one eye on that fight in, in a couple of weeks' time. Ramirez against Postal yeah. in China. How do you see that one playing out? It's a tough, tough fight there, in my opinion. Ooh, I know. Um, I don't know. You know, that, that, that one, I don't want to really call too much. Like I said, I would just have my eye on it. <laughs> I'm going to have my eye on that one. Uh, I don't really want to give a call and jinx anything. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be a good fight. I mean, obviously, Ramirez has has struggled with good boxers at times in his career, you know? And um, mm-hmm. Postal's a tough, tough, tough guy, and he can box, as, as I'm sure you know. And just finally, Keith, any closing words mm-hmm. at all for our listeners before we let you go? I always like to like to throw it over to you, give you the microphone and let you drop some, some yeah. words of wisdom before I let you go. <laughs> uh, um, not too much that can fly off the head right now besides um, I appreciate everything. And, um, you know, um, anybody who's chasing the dream, just, just keep pushing. You know, some days you, you don't always have good days and some days you have worse days, but... Every day, if you get in that gym, you'll have a, a, a day, and that's a blessing. So, um, everybody, follow me, Keith Hunter, um, at Bounty Hunter the Third, all together. The third is three R D, and I'm really only on social media as far as Instagram. So, um, catch up with me. I appreciate you. Catch up with my, with my man, Box Hard. <laughs> <laughs> You need to get a Twitter account real soon, Keith. That is for sure. But listen, it always is a pleasure speaking with you, my man. Best of luck for February 28th in Vegas, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after the fight. Okay. I hope to see you there. If not, I'm definitely going to reach out to you. 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 223 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. The former heavyweight world title challenger, Eddie Chambers, has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the former super featherweight world title challenger, John O'Carroll, and the undefeated super lightweight world contender, Keith Hunter. As always, though, the biggest thank you of all goes out to you, the listeners, for making this podcast what it is with Without you all, it would be pointless. There has been a couple of pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show. Anthony Fowler has parted ways with his trainer, Dave Caldwell. Um... The split was very amicable, though, which is a bit of a rarity in boxing, so that was refreshing to see that. It ended on great terms. Um, Anthony Fowler will now be trained by Shane McGuigan. So, obviously, the news in, in recent times was that McGuigan and Josh Taylor have parted ways, but he's got a new um, a new addition there to his training stable. Anthony Fowler there for Shane McGuigan. In other news, Demetrius Andrade has signed a contract extension with Matchroom Boxing USA. It's a four fight extension. This means he'll be with Matchroom probably for the next couple of years, I'd say. In other news, Andrew Selby has reached an agreement to box Mohamed Obadi for the vacant EBU flyweight title. A date for that fight will be announced real soon. Obadi, for those that don't know, is a Moroccan fighter based in Italy. He's actually promoted by the same Italian promoting um, company that work very closely with Matchroom Italy. Um, He's got a record of 21-1 and his only loss came, interestingly enough, to Christopher Rosales. Obviously, Christopher Rosales and Selby boxed in the past, and Selby once upon a time beat him, but it would appear that Selby has suffered a bit of a decline since then, and he will certainly need to be on his A-game to win this fight in what I think is probably a last-chance saloon, really, for Andrew Selby, sadly. But in other news, a friend of the show and a former world champion, Andrew Cancio, after being dumped by Golden Boy Promotions after losing his fight, against Rene Alvarado, um, you know, and everyone felt really sorry for him because the way Golden Boy seemed to handle the situation did seem a little bit harsh from the outside looking in, but Andrew Cancio has now signed a promotional contract with top rank, so it's good to see, um, you know, good things happen to good people. He is one of the sport's good guys, so I'd like to wish him all the best. But that's about everything from myself now. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast once again. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we shall see you all again next week.